Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. This episode comes from C21's Content Canada 2019, which took place earlier this week at the Four Seasons Hotel in Toronto. You may have heard our preview episode on Wednesday as the two-day event got underway, featuring Content Canada CEO Fern Cohen and editor Adam Benzine. Adam was hosting a number of the panel discussions and caught up with some of the participants afterwards to delve more into the topics under discussion. In a moment, you'll hear him talking podcast adaptations with Serial Box CEO Molly Barton, Propagate Content's Senior Vice President of Alternative Comedy Kevin Healy, and Viacom Podcast's Senior VP Steve Raises. But first, Adam spoke with John Young, Chief Executive of Boat Rocker Media, prior to the news this week that the firm has acquired LA-based TV production company Platform One Media. Plus, Electus co-founder and chief operating officer Drew Buckley and Jocelyn Hamilton, president of television in Canada for Entertainment One. Also ahead of news, the Hasbro-owned company has bought US-based unscripted producer Blackfin. For more on those stories and hundreds of others this week, visit c21media.net. But in the meantime, over to Adam Benzine in Toronto. Well, we've just had the Business Builder International Brand Building session here at Content Canada, and I'm extremely fortunate to be joined by three of the panelists from that session. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I have John Young. He's the Chief Executive Officer of Boat Rocker Media. Welcome, John. Thank you. I'm also joined by Drew Buckley. He's the co-founder and CEO of Electus. Drew, thanks very much for joining us today. And I'm extremely fortunate to have Jocelyn Hamilton, the President for Canada uh, of Entertainment One's television division. Thank you. Welcome. I'm interested to go to each of you one by one because you each have giant behemoth companies uh, that have hands in many different things. And the overall theme of the panel was, you know, building on those brands. So uh, I, I wonder if we could start with you, John, because I know Boat Rock has gone through a period of significant growth, and a lot of that growth has come through M&A activity, acquiring other companies. You know, you, you've shot up here in Canada. Tell me a little bit about how you're positioning the company overall, what the aim is with Boat Rocker. Well, I think the aim really is, you know, uh, um, how do we tell culturally relevant stories and try to build franchise brands from those stories. That's really it in a nutshell. Um, and we started as a small company trying to produce a TV show too. And along the way we decided strategically we wanted to try to build a business. It's funny to hear you talk about the behemoths. Uh, I certainly don't feel that, uh, that Boat Rocker is in any way a behemoth in the industry. Um, but, I guess but in Canada, you've, you know, you've grown very rapidly. It's very a great quickly. point. We have done, and you, you mentioned uh, earlier about acquisition. So we've been able to look at the company. What do we think we need to add to the company to give us in, uh, ourselves a chance at that success? And over the, kind, over the time, try to build it organically if we could, mm-hmm. uh, adding great people and, and, and partnerships along the way, and ultimately also buying companies that we thought could, could absolutely support and help the overall vision of the company of trying to become this global media business telling a story and try to build a brand out of it. And uh, Drew, I mean, Electus is, is at, uh, are you guys nearly a decade now? Nearly a decade, yeah, yeah. and it's just, uh, it's a, been a, a fortuitous route. You know, Ben Silverman and I started Electus together close to 10 years ago. Um, we were backed by IAC and Barry Diller. Uh, ben exited the business about four years ago, teamed up with his former partner, Howard Owens. Mm-hmm. Um, they had backing from a and Networks, and then they got Rain, um, private equity, involved. And um, late last year, they acquired Electus. So Ben, myself, Howard, we're all back together as one. 
and uh, off to the races with all our uh, assets and shows and um, you know it's been a, it's been a really great ride. Yes, and Jocelyn, uh, it's a very busy time of year for entertainment. One, you, you're at the Toronto Film Festival with any number of films on any given year, and you're also here at Content Canada representing the television side of the business. Uh, tell me a little bit about where your key focus is at the moment. Well, I mean, for us, the focus is always about the content. Um, and we have a diverse content portfolio, whether that be in any of our three hubs. So Toronto is our headquarters, as mm -hmm. you know. And we have a hub of development uh, for both scripted and unscripted. In Toronto, we also have a hub in LA, uh, both scripted and unscripted, and in London, England. So we are truly... Um, we think globally, we think both domestically in each of those territories as well as globally. Mm -hmm. And we all work together towards that and have very different um, ways in which we, we manage that strategy. But at the same time, at the end of the day, it's very much content driven. Um, and you know, you can include film in that, you can include music. We have a VR company in Secret Location. Um, and we have our family division, which of course is Peppa Pig and PJ Masks at, at the core. So yes. it's always content-driven um, um, throughout. Now I'm interested, for each of you, as your, as your companies grow, how you manage to expand, become these big companies, yet keep your individual flavor, not just become a sort of anonymous, you know, shapeless beige company where people don't... You know, if, if I came to you and I said, well, you know, I have this film and it's, you know, me sitting down and speaking with President Obama for several hours intimately... What is the unique thing that E1 is going to bring to it? What's the unique thing that Boat Rocker or Electus is going to bring to it? How do you, how do you maintain your individuality? Well, we did take Barack Obama. <laughs> yes. Yes. So you're not interested. Yeah. You, you, you've been there and done that. Bear Grylls on a yes, that's right. Yes. Wild, so. mm -hmm. um, Great episode. But the one thing that I would say for us is that at the core, um, you know, you have kind of your your critical functions, but it's important for us to have our certain labels mm. that tie into that core that, that represent their own um, individual content taste. So for example, uh, we have a division called Big Breakfast within um, that it's some um, entity that, you know, the core supporting it, but they have shows like Adam Runs Everything, Hot Date. It's a very comedy focused label, you know, um, in terms of, you know, Propagate. They also have certain labels that they have and they've done a great job of taking podcasts to linear programming like they yes. have lore um, and up and vanish. So there's different functions of different entities and it's important for us to keep the branding focused on that. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, the company started in a very entrepreneurial way and I would say that that has permeated throughout the culture of E1. It's got a very entrepreneurial spirit, even though it's big. Um, and so that means, you know, you're opportunistic when there's an opportunity such as that, you know, you're yeah. going to take that to the next step. But I do think that if you, you know, that we are probably very commercial driven and very audience driven. So we probably wouldn't um, go down a path that was very, very niche, no. um, you know, uh, because we have to be thinking about it from an international distribution standpoint, something that we believe will work around the world. Um, versus just one area. So entrepreneurial, opportunistic, and internationally, commercially driven. Mm. You're looking at economies of scale. If you take something, you want it... Something well, it can't can... be something that's only going to work in Newfoundland. Right. I'll use that as an example, or Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. it, it has to be something that we can see working around the world and have a, 
uh, a broad audience view. That, that, that doesn't mean there isn't going to be something that is interesting and different and hasn't been seen before, but we have to believe that audiences will love that everywhere. Mm-hmm. And John? Well, I think your question is an interesting one. As you do grow and decide to, to try to build a bigger business, how do you keep that individuality and uh, what, you know, what your company was all about from the beginning when two or three people were, were, were beginning it? So uh, I think in some respects the answer is you can't. It's part of the trade-off. It's mm-hmm. part of the compromise of deciding to get on the, the, the path to, to building a big business which sustains hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people. It's just kind of not possible. But, and Jocelyn mentioned it, where there's still lots of ways where as you, as you grow, as you hire, as you try to um, not dilute that culture or that individuality by hiring people uh, um, that, that think the same way, that come into the company, that you partner with, that, that try to be as like-minded as possible. But it, it is hard because every time you add a new employee in, in an office in London, it's just harder to understand how they will not dilute ultimately what you're trying to achieve. It's harder, but that's part of the journey and that's part of how you try to shape that new uh, uh, culture into something uh, that they can work with you as your company grows and still try to, to uh, define and keep what made you successful as five or six people, what will ultimately sustain you as a thousand person company. Well, yeah. interestingly, we in particular have, have I've found over the small time that I've been there, at, but we've acquired a lot of companies, mm-hmm. is that it's actually added to the culture that we didn't homogenize. That you know, you think of secret mm-hmm. location, and they're very, they're very, um, their innovation is it allows them to be kind of scrappy, right? And and they, they they do things a little bit differently. And then perhaps some someone that we've maybe acquired in the UK. Um, is maybe a little different in their culture or unscripted companies are different in their culture but um, Ewan has allowed them to continue to be who they are mm-hmm. and that's that's added a very interesting flavor to the company yeah. it's not homogenized they understand you're part of something bigger but they're allowed to be who they want to be within that it's kind of interesting Yes. Now, you're all top-tier content providers, so you deal with all of the top networks. And it's been a very, I mean, it's, it still is a very volatile landscape. I mean, just yesterday we saw Apple announcing when it's going to launch its service. Uh, we've seen the huge disruption, obviously, that Netflix has provided over, over the last five, ten years. Uh, new players every day getting into content, Amazon, Facebook, smaller platforms as well. Uh, a huge amount of opportunity. But I'm wondering what, what each of you think the key challenge is as you look 18 months ahead, five years ahead, you know, at this, at this landscape, what do you think the key challenge will be for each of your companies? Well, I think we touched on a little bit at the, at the panel, which is, mm-hmm. um, you know, with all these platforms emerging, um, you need to differentiate yourself. And in terms of differentiating yourself, it really is you getting a great piece of content, packaging with great talent, with great resources, but then also understanding that you're going to be pulling from the same rope to understand how you can help market that to break through because we don't know what the Apple, we know was announced yesterday that they have, they they announced what the the price is going to be, Mm -hmm. but we still don't know what the true discoverability of content is going to be like, how they're going to service that, how they're going to uh, make sure that uh, they're actually recommending certain things. And so that may lean on us as the content producer to figure out what we need to do to support, um, you know, to help amplify content. Yeah, I would support exactly what Drew said there. I think it's 
it's staying nimble enough to know that in this ever-changing environment that we find that there will be new buyers popping up all the time. That may plateau at some point. There may be consolidation again down the line. But while we're in this environment, how do we stay nimble enough to understand what each of them wants Mm -hmm. uh, and how do we find out and build our company such that we're capable of actually delivering on that? And that's that's really the challenge, staying as nimble as we can to deliver on what these new buyers want. And they all want something different. Some are looking for volume. Some are looking for premium, premium, premium quality content. Some are looking for different things and how much can we provide? It can't be everything, but you know, Boat Rocker's got to try and build itself in such a way to try to uh, adapt to that and, and make itself, uh, uh, allow itself to have the IP and, and hopefully the stories that these new buyers that we're seeing emerge want. Yeah, and some of them don't know what they want. That's you know? a great point. They're, 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 they don't, they don't know what they want until out. they see it. Yes, and uh, and that's that's been the case for buyers of content. I think probably yeah. since since time, since <laughs> since content began, it's that two way street of of they know they they think they know what they want. It's easy to say, hey, can you give me another flea bag? Oh, of course, if I yeah. had that, I would be coming to see you. But, but nobody knew they wanted but, a flea bag until they saw a flea bag. Exactly. So so we, we we find that challenge. But that's that works. You know, that's a two way street. We both are trying to do the same thing. We think we, we can show them something they want, but we're also asking the question, what do you want? And so I think it's a real interesting challenge. It's always been there. Um, and yeah, figure, figure that out and we'll get more stories uh, on the screens. I think the nice um, evolution of having the SVOD players in the ecosystem is that it has expanded what's possible. And what I mean by that is, you know, 10 years ago it wouldn't have been it, you would never have gotten a network to pick up a Narcos where there's subtitles all the way through it. Mm-hmm. You would never have done 3%. Like you just, you wouldn't have allowed, a, a flea bag probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have been done if things had not expanded and allowed for new kinds of content to be seen that didn't have the same rules and sort of boxed in way in which commercially driven versus subscription driven um, platforms needed content to be. So it has expanded what's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, how hard it is to get in there <laughs> is a whole other discussion. Um, and then for Canada in particular, you know, it's going to change our ecosystem completely that one by one they're all coming over the top unregulated and it's going to change mm-hmm. the yes. domestic scene immensely and we don't yet know what that's going to look like. No. So We don't yet know what government regulation will be, I mean, post-election. It's it's already slow enough that, you know, they're all coming over this fall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Apple, you know, CBS All Access is already a Disney. They're all coming over anyway, and they're mm-hmm. unregulated. And we're just, as a country, we're not used to a world where it's unregulated, and it's going to be messy for a little while. John Young, Drew Buckley, and Jocelyn Hamilton talking to C21's Adam Benzine at Content Canada in Toronto earlier this week. Also at the event, he spoke with another trio of execs following their panel session on the growing role of podcasts in TV development. So I'm joined here now by three of our panelists from the Podcasters The New Pilot session. We have Molly Barton, she's the co-founder and CEO of Serial Box. Welcome, Molly. Thank you. Uh, we have Steve Rezes, he's the Senior Vice President of Viacom Podcast. Welcome. Thank you. And uh, we are also joined by Kevin Healy, he's the Senior Vice President for Comedy, Alternative and Worldwide Formats at Propagate Content. Welcome, Kevin. Oh, thank you. Uh, what an interesting panel session. 
Uh, I think that th this has been one of the most curious sessions that we've had so far at Content Canada. When we talk about traditional sessions that we have focused on documentary programming, formats, drama, kids programming, this is the first time that we've had a podcast uh, um, focused session here. And I'm really interested just to go around, uh, first of all, to each of you and get your thoughts on podcasts as a form of IP. Because that seems to me one of the, the, the really big changes that we've seen in the industry is this this idea that podcasts can be something that can be integrated into other parts of the uh, film and TV industry. Molly, perhaps if, if I start with you. Sure, I'm happy to start. Uh, and and perhaps even just back it up a little bit and just give a, a very quick overview of, of what Serial Box does. Sure, Serial Box uh, produces and delivers uh, stories that you can read or listen to in short installments on your smartphone. And my background is in book publishing, so I'm accustomed to the idea that the work that I'm helping produce is underlying material for film and television, and audio is just the sort of newest, latest, greatest expression of that. Um, and what we're doing is really interesting to our film and television partners because we have our own platform. So we produce audio series that are written by best-selling and award-winning teams of writers and then we release them on our own platform so we can observe what's happening with the listenership, whether they're coming in for a certain property and then crossing over to others, uh, and share that information with our, our film and television partners. And Kevin, uh, just give me an overview of, of, of Propagate's work in, sure. in, in this area, in um, the podcast area. In the podcast area, um, well, we were our, our two co-founders, uh, Ben Silverman and Howard Owens, made a living, I would say, in the early 2000s and the early days of what became reality television in dealing in IP, foreign IP. Um, and then that went from unscripted to scripted. And so I feel like podcasts have become a new uh, breeding ground of great IP for our company. And so we fo we're focusing heavily on taking a look at the, the great storytellers and formats that are there and trying to transition the television. And uh, Steve, obviously Viacom is a giant. Uh, Viacom Podcast is, is part of that. Uh, you know, giant firm. Tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing within that division of Viacom. Sure. So the idea for Viacom podcasting is, you know, with so many great brands and so much popular IP, uh, it still comes down to this idea that the show is the show is the show and that our fans want to experience our brands and our IP wherever they happen to be. Mm -hmm. So whether we're looking at derivative properties of existing shows like Drunk History or Paw Patrol, or if we're looking to really kind of tap into the development and talent pipelines and build out that ecosystem, uh, because there's so much great talent out there, but there's only space for so many kind of linear shows. So podcasting really gives us opportunity to either you know develop and broaden out existing IP, or to find and farm new original IP, which can then be either a podcast or move into digital or social or linear. Yes, one of the one of the interesting takeaways that I I, I really like you emphasized on the panel session was that podcasts aren't niche. I think it was mentioned, oh, you know, podcasts can be niche, but that, that they aren't niche. Um, and so what kind of an audience are you, are you getting where, or what kind of an audience reception are you looking at? If we look at Viacom Podcasts, for example, where you would take an idea that's new IP, that you would test it on initially as a podcast rather than say as a TV pilot, and what sort of reception are you looking for from that that makes you think this is something that could perhaps become the next drunk, drunk history or could be, you know, as we saw perhaps most famously, and it's an obvious example, but with Serial, something that completely blows up and then has, there's now been documentary series spin-offs, there have been, it's uh, all kinds of imitators that have come from that. 
I, I think it's interesting because I, I do actually think that podcasts can, can function both as mass and niche. I think some of the best podcasts are actually kind of very narrow in focus and, and specific appeal because people really want to dive deep into stuff. And I think podcasting is a great format for that. So I think for us within Viacom, we do look at it both ways. We look at certain shows uh, like the Daily Show Ears edition. That's a mass show, right? That we're really kind of leaning off of that IP and looking to grow that and potentially have that become an even bigger umbrella for us. And then on the other side, we're looking at shows like VH100 or Your Two Dads, which is a, you know, a comedic take on parenting. That's fairly niche, right? I mean, that's a very specific kind of viewpoint on, on what it's like to parent. And I think both have space within podcasting. I think you know, the most important thing is we've all talked about the panel is that the shows really need to ring true and they need to have a reason to be and they've got to be really good. I think people, as silly as that sounds, like making a podcast for the sake of making a podcast will get lost. But making a podcast that people feel strongly about and have a deep affinity for, that's how you will succeed. Yes. And Kevin, on the Propagate side? Well, you know, it's interesting. We, we're consumers of it. You know, we, we hadn't been generators of podcasts until recently. So for the most part, we've been just kind of culling and curating and listening and trying to find talent to work with. Um, and we've had some success with that. But I think now we're trying to see if we can jumpstart it on our end. And, you know, and coming soon, I'm working with two young comedians who I couldn't pitch them to a TV network today. However, maybe in a year I could. And instead of letting them go, in a sense, and, and hey, come back in a year, it's like, why don't we help you? Why don't we work with you and try to create a really unique piece of, uh, uh, of, of uh, a, a unique podcast that will feature their talents? And then maybe over that growth and that development, we'll end up with a great piece of television. But if we don't, then we're just developing talent, which is great, too. Yes. So it seems to me that it's, it's slightly more focused rather than on the story of the podcast or adapting you know, the story that's being told there, that this is a great opportunity for you for talent scouting, finding people who could potentially uh, make for excellent hosts for TV, excellent characters for TV. Exactly, or a format, you know, that we want to try out that might be the next great game show format. But, you know, we've had, you know, we've done it the other way too. Uh, you know, we've been very fortunate, I think we've mentioned on the panel, Up and Vanished in Lore, um, and uh, we're, we're working right now with people on a podcast called Undisclosed. And we're really excited about that. And Aaron Menke, who created Lore, has another one called Cabinet of Curiosities, which is something we're setting up at Travel Channel. So we're, we're definitely still in that game. You know, we're still really excited about some of the stuff we find out there. And I think we're just trying to figure out, you know, is it another way for us to you know, grow, grow new talent and grow formats? Well, and at Serial Box, we're really focused on... Um serving fans and creating a place for science fiction and fantasy fans in particular. Mm -hmm. um, so we're both um, introducing entirely original audio stories that you can read as well, um, some of which are in early stages of adaptation for television, but we're also serving fandoms that are missing um, their favorite show or um, characters by uh, continuing those storylines in audio form. Mm -hmm. So the best and current example of that is Orphan Black, which ran for five seasons on television, and the story continues on Serial Box starting tomorrow with the star of the show, Tatiana Maslany, narrating. Mm -hmm. I'm very excited for that. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> Huge hit show here in Canada. Um, and and where do you look? Where does the revenue come for you in that? I mean, are you taking a cut of the of the of the revenue that's coming in for the podcast? Is it coming from subscribers? And how how do you how do you um, 
monetize that on your end whilst not discouraging people from submitting podcasts to the platform? Sure. So we don't tend to actually use the word podcast. We're focused on audio series that live in multiple places. So some of our content will eventually travel through audiobook channels um, as well as podcast channels. Um, But Serial Box Platform is a paid platform where readers and listeners can either buy an episode or a season of a show. Um, for you know, one ninety nine for an episode, um, and that runs about forty minutes. Um, and uh, the season is typically around ten to twelve dollars. Yes. So you're not taking a stake in the underlying IP. You're sharing in the revenue of the sale of that episode. Uh, two different models. So mm-hmm. when we're partnering with major IP holders like Marvel or Orphan Black. Um, we don't own that content at all. We take a cut of the revenue that comes in from the sale of mm-hmm. access. Um, then for our wholly owned series, we, we own all of those rights and yes. in all expressions. And, and it's there that you see an opportunity, as you say, to those are the ones that are in early development to become TV pilots, mm-hmm. to travel out to different mediums. Exactly. And not just TV pilots, I mean, they could become books, they could become any number of different uh, movies, feature documentaries. Right, we've licensed translation rights, you know, in many, many countries, um, and uh, book publishing rights as well. I mean, I do get, I mean, not to put words into your mouth, but do you get the sense that this is a little bit the Wild West, that you're in the early days of something that's still rapidly evolving, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there aren't too many hard and fast rules I mean, I laugh because I feel every other article, someone talks about it being the Wild West, and then every article after that, someone says, we have to stop calling it the Wild West. Um, But it's certainly in a unique stage of development. It's still relatively early. I think one of the things that we've all talked about that we've really loved about the panel, even this is, it's actually a very collegial space, and it's one in which, not to sound overly Pollyannish, but like, that we really are you know, the, the rising tide is raising all boats, you know, the 51% of all households have listened to a podcast, I mean, 49% haven't. And and I, I truly think that we're working to get, like, the more people that we bring in, the more orphan back black fans who have never listened to audio that come in and then can filter in to stuff that Propagate is doing and stuff that, you know, like, that's fantastic. So we're in this place where we're all kind of trying to grow it. And, and yes, I think a lot of the rules are still being figured out and a lot of them there are a number of different monetization models but i think what you are seeing is that there is a place for really good content that there is a true path to materiality and scale um you know we at viacom fully believe in that and and we you know we have a plan in terms of kind of going forward and and finding those dollars and that's more than just an ancillary business but i think a real driver yeah pliability is important because not only are podcasts always evolving. Five years ago, we weren't pitching to streamers. Right. We weren't producing for streamers. And then, you know, people were talking about cutting the cord and cable and reducing costs. If you want to be able to watch everything that's available on these apps, you're going to spend more than you spent on your cable bill. So I feel like we're always in the Wild West in our business in a weird way that we just always have to adjust. And I think this is just another, again, it's just another cool way to get content that didn't exist, and I love it. It's it's uh, it's just another way for people who didn't. Ha- it's the same. Remember when YouTube came out? Right. New ways for great people to express themselves, and it's not a bad thing. Never a bad thing. Molly Barton, Kevin Healy, and Steve Razes talking with C21's Adam Benzine at Content Canada in Toronto earlier this week. Visit c21media.net for all the stories that came out of the event, as well as hundreds of others, and the Content Canada website for more podcasts from Adam. But for now, that's all for this episode. 
Don't forget to stay up to date with all the latest developments in the international TV business by following C21 online, on Twitter, on LinkedIn and mobile in the meantime. Thanks for listening. <laughs>